This podcast is for mature audiences only and may include cussing, cursing, fidgeting, rambling, insensitive or irreverent material, slurs, catchphrases, expressions, lamentations, and or degradations that aren't suitable for young folk. Also, we'll be talking about the reefer. That wizard came from the moon. Welcome to Purple Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers that toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, then you're in the right place, friend, because we're here to shoot the breeze on some dank strains and some video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, what's in your weed? Under the rubble of the last episode, Dan uncovers 2013's Tomb Raider. Andy braved the Hyrulean wilds in Breath of the Weed. Snoop Doggy Dog gets blunt on Twitch with a blue flag only on the left side because that is indeed the Crypt side. Eve Online's multi-million dollar match comes up a little short. The uh, Duke, uh, Duke Nukem movie is in production and Monster Hunter World is coming down the pipe. We'll also be settling in for a smoke sash with our strain and our munchie of the week so stick around for that because it's going to be a good good time i'm your host andy and with me as always is the one the only the james cameron of the purple dungeon squid podcast dank dan anxiously poised at the starting line the purple dungeon pod roars to life three two one go <laughs> tell me you didn't <laughs> tell me you didn't have that one in the chamber uh, you know, at the top, I just thought we'd riff on a little bit of a cake soundtrack that I like. You, you, you know, cake at all? Cake? The yeah. uh, he, he's going the distance. He's, he's going, going for speed. the distance. Yeah, it's pretty grand. Yeah, he is grand. He's got that little electric flute in the background. Yeah, I, I dig that all day long. Uh, that really went with my James Cameron reference. Although I don't know if we're doing that movie in 3D. Yeah, I don't know if we need to do any movie in 3D. That's it's three duns. Yeah, I feel you on that Redunzo. one. I, are movies still coming out in 3D? I don't even know. I don't even. Uh, I don't think so. I haven't heard that shit in a long time. Yeah, it, it, they are. Um, actually, Blade Runner was it done in 3D, and it was very well done. They did a nice. nice, a nice subtle 3D overlay and color scheme and other such nonsense. It was well done. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, listen. I remember the first time I saw. Um, oh God, what type? What the hell is it called? Avatar, right? <laughs> Avatar. Uh, when I saw Avatar, I saw it in 3D, and I thought it was incredible. Um, but then every 3D movie I saw afterward made me want to jump off a plane. Either way, Dan, it's nice to uh, nice to be back in the Purple Dungeon Squad layer with you, my good friend. Nice to make your reacquaintance. It feels yes. like it's been a fortnight. It feels like it's been five minutes. Yeah, somewhere in between. But only because I'm so anxious to get right back here where we are and to talk about some weed and some video games with you. I've been chomping at the bit as well, and I've, I've kept some secret news from you. I've kept a dark secret. Oh, 
Yeah. Okay. Is is this uh, is this a limited edition uh, live live release here on the on the podcast? This is a what dark, was the this news? Is a dark dark day scoop, and uh, I'm just cool. gonna come right in and say it. I'm just gonna say it. I got a new cat. Oh, nice man. <laughs> That's the most internet forum thread title of all time. Got a new cat. I got love it. Got a new cat. Uh, my sweet sweet lady heaped him upon me. And it really breaks up our current cat dynamic, of which we have one cat. She was running the house. She was being a diva. She was ignoring me, as as all diva best friends do. Who are you, guy? What are you doing here? Get out of here. Uh, I don't love anything but my lady. Yeah. Now, now there's a new competitor on the field. Sweet, mm. sweet Baloo. The Baloo. A large, a large gentleman black cat is now shaking up the whole thing. He's chill. He's easy going. He likes the scritches, and suddenly uh, Sushi's on her back foot and doesn't know what to do, and I am loving it. You're digging that. You're, you're enjoying oh, watching her squirm a little bit, eh? Uh, suddenly, Miss Princess doesn't have the comfiest pu- uh, cushion, comfiest yeah. pillow. Now what's happening? <laughs> so Baloo's trying to play with her. She's not into it. It's a tenuous alliance. Let's see how it goes down. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. More on that, more on that yeah. later. That's cool, man. It's always nice welcoming a new animal or hobo into your home, whatever works. It's nice to switch up the dynamic every once in a while. Are you referring to Gary, the hobo that drank all my cologne and then made <laughs> off into the night? <laughs> true story, I'm sure. Real real true story. That, yeah. let's put, we'll put that in the archive for later uh, on ba- our Patreon. Baloo, Baloo, that's the bear from the Jungle Book. That is the bear from the Jungle Book. And you oh. know what's weird about this cat? What's that? This is. I wish I was making any of this up. So uh, my sweet lady got it from uh, someone in her... Uh, meditation circle of which I have the greatest respect for and this, this person was like oh I gotta move this cat and my sweet lady was on this immediately and uh, he uh, replied when my sweet lady asked what his name was what I can only uh, assume sounded like oh, like uh, he doesn't have a name we just assume oh, no. that he named himself and like that's good enough oh yeah now, he that- conjured he conjured that cat out of thin air like a wizard that may not have been exactly how it went down, but it came back. This 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 cat had no name, so me and my sweet lady uh, put together something that feels right. Baloo feels right. Did you did you did she did you both dive into your uh, your deep chakras to pull out Baloo? It is from my root chakra. I see. Is that the uh, is that the pink one or the or the orange one? It's uh, the brown and most sexual chakra. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to take this chakra in a respectable direction, and you uh, you threw me right under the chakra bus. Right. So there we go. <laughs> You're chop chakra now. My third eye is stinging. My fourth eye is angry. <laughs> like a squirt uh, of verbal lemon juice, right? In yeah, the old man. peepers. Right in the old peepers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's good stuff. Well, it's, it's genuinely nice to have a new animal in the house. You know, we have a dog that we, uh, we also kind of rescued from a similar situation and um he's, you rescued you know, he's, it from a gang of peaceful uh <laughs> meditators <laughs> we rescued him actually from the from the dangerous streets of north carolina somewhere oh wow um yeah yeah he was uh he was uh, a rescue dog real sweet sweet guy oscar 
Um, and you know what's interesting about Oscar is he was rescued from a kill shelter, but I guess someone you know the the whatever the bureaucracy at the kill shelter unfortunately had already registered him as dead. So I actually have this dog in Canada from North Carolina who is legally dead on paper. He's like a splinter cell. It's pretty it's amazing. It's not just a kill shelter. It's a pre-kill shelter. <laughs> it's a precognitive kill shelter. It's like the minority report of kill shelters. Sir, you can't take our dead dogs for a walk. It's terrible. No, this dog, it's very much like... No, it says right here, dead. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, poor Oscar. But he's a, I assure you, he's a good boy. He's eating us out of house and home, and uh, he is very much alive. So. He's uh, golden brown and a prancer, and I like that about him. He's a delicate boy. He's a delicate boy. But enough about our pets. We'll save that for, oh, I don't know, Facebook never, or never. my blog. <laughs> my, my otaku blog. Why I don't, don't we just start describing our dreams and <laughs> see if we can really get people <laughs> to turn this podcast immediately <laughs> off? <laughs> and you were there and you were there oh. how, how many seconds do you have of tolerance to hear about another human's dreams it's a good question i don't know if we're going to explore it on this one i also don't want to be hospitalized because some of my dreams are pretty out there 11 seconds and yes. i'm aware that i have 11 seconds to hear about your dream so if i ever have purpose to tell someone my dream it is as if you have uh, placed the Dan podcast on triple times. Like I am, I'm blurting that shit out. Cause I know you don't care. There's <laughs> nothing like, it, it's like, Hey, you ready for some uh, fake nonsense? Here it comes. Open Here it comes. Ears. Open it up. This is, this is the post right after hello world on the blog after specifically you haven't deleted hello world. That's speaking, where we're at. Speaking of made up nonsense. Oh, that was it. Hello world was it. Understood. Understood. No, no it's a segue. Speaking of made up nonsense. <laughs> Oh, Purple Dungeon Squid is brought to you by Weed and Video Games. No sponsor to speak of, none at all. If you want to sponsor us, get to us at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Um, in other news, uh, Purple Dungeon Squid is brought to you by Hansy Lemurs. Your wallet is gone. It's gone. <laughs> uh, brought to you by coffee that just, just, just got cold. You're good. You paid for that coffee and you're going to force that cold beverage down your throat. <laughs> that last third is always a trial and tribulation. Let me tell you, especially when it's like a three dollar coffee. There's no going back on that. You're going to choke it down. You made to yourself. <laughs> you're like, next time I'm going to go for a small. The next time you're in large, I'll take an extra large, please. <laughs> you know what just... the nice thing about a small is? Makes What's your that? hand look huge. You grip it like you're a gorilla. Suddenly your hand looks gigantic. Oh, yeah. I never... I've never been out in public with like a conscious mind towards the size of my hand. I, I, when, I imagine that's what it's like to be Donald Trump. Whenever you have an oddly small beverage, try that. Like dwarf it even smaller by gripping it as if you're some sort of, sort of massive uh, simian and just see how that, that grabs you. Listen, man, you got to claw self-confidence out of the ether somehow. That's right. Purple Dungeon Squid brought to you by merging with no signal. Because I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Yeah, incredible. Jamming your hand into a stranger's couch. One way or another, we are about to know each other much better. I'm a brave <laughs> man, and I'm going in. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, man, I wonder what, you know, listen, I think most of the time my couch is so full of random shit that you don't even have to jam your, your hand in there. It just starts, sort of surfaces as you're sitting, just sort of bubbles <laughs> to the top. <laughs> I know it's in there. You got um, a staple, a rubber band, uh, a lollipop, open and already licked. And I'm going to say a marble, 
and about 45 cents. Uh, yeah, it's really close. You're, you're missing the 450 small toys um, mm-hmm. <laughs> from the toddlers <laughs> that also live in my house. Correct. That, that's that's, that's the, the, the general body. And Purple Dungeon Squid is brought to you by five guys and no pizza place. <laughs> what? Well, this is awkward. Oh, yeah. No kidding. I thought we were all here for pizza. No. No. Uh, hey, 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 hey. Put your pants back on. Hey. <laughs> if you want to actually sponsor the show, feel free to email us at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Until then, you'll have to put up with all of this nonsense. I'll never stop. Sinister. Sinister. Alrighty, Dan. Well, my man, it is time for that good old-fashioned video game chatter. And um, how? Yeah, how's the last week of gaming been for you? You've been settling down, uh, getting some time in. I know I've been crazy busy, barely had time to fire anything up. Uh, this month has been what can only be described as the overtime month. There's been yes. uh, 45 extra hours added onto my schedule, and I am uh, a zombie man uh, who is sweating on his eyelids. Is that correct? Is that what's supposed to happen? I think the sweat runs into your eyelids, and if you're mm. tired enough, it stings and just feels ah oh, terrible. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And it's been, you know, we have to uh, we have to thank our uh, our our very loyal readers, all six of you, <laughs> um, for for being very patient with uh, the Purple Dungeon Squid as our release schedule in January has been a little a little touch and go. But Dan, you got a new job, so I feel like uh, that that deserves some applause also. Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah, no, and, and let's also be clear, there are many of you you are the purple dungeon squad is legion um, we are one now person we, we went My off mom. road we went off road last uh, episode and managed to not mention hide nor hair of either game we uh <laughs> promised to review and it worked out so well because like honestly i like i genuinely have not had any time to pick up another game in the past two weeks which is the amount of time we've had and actually it's a blessing because the game that I've got to talk about to you today about uh, some words there, um, <laughs> I really would. I actually just didn't want to play anything else. I've 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 picked up a couple a couple games. Um, the last time we 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 chatted, I uh, I had picked up a um, a Vita, and uh, you know have have pre- pulled the trigger on a couple games. I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. But um, I also picked up Pyre. Have you seen Pyre? I haven't seen Pyre. Yeah, Pyre's a release from last year. It's it's a turn-based strategy that's done in um God, it's done in the in the kind of the art style, almost like of a transistor, uh, which is which is to say, yeah, really beautiful, really unique art style. It it looks really cool. It looks like a, a great mix between kind of a an action RPG and a turn-based Anyway, I, I, well, I'll, I'll get into it after I've actually played it, but I'm pretty pumped, pretty pumped to give that a go. And I also picked up a um, a new new hard drive for my PS4. Are you running out of space on your PS4? Because I'm pretty sure everyone is. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I had enough, but it, it, it gets gobbled quick. It's true. And like, I really dislike because I buy a lot of digital games, although I've, I've kind of stopped doing that recently um, since our since our conversation about uh, about owning physical copies a little while ago. But I digress. Um, still having the the digital copies or even having just whatever gigabytes of downloads um, in the form of downloadable content or what have you has left my PS4 in a position where anytime I wanted a new game, I had to delete something, which is just always a shitty feeling. You're stoked about the game. And in the back of your mind, it's like, Oh, but you're going to have to get rid of the Witcher. And somewhere in me, I was like, but I want to play the Witcher. You know what I mean? 
you're not just getting rid of the the Witcher. You're you're right. You're taking it off the front deck. You're putting it into the back room, and you're deleting those uh those delicious updates, gigs and gigs of updates. Yeah, man. And who's got an unlimited plan in this day and age? Well, maybe anybody who's not in Canada. But here we still pay for every bitter gigabyte. <laughs> so. Yo, Dank Dan has got a sweet unlimited plan. Oh, do you? With uh, an internet service that if they really want to, I will pimp out on this podcast. Get at me. There you go. Internet service. There you go. There you go. Um, but yeah, no, so I got a new I got a new Seagate two terabyte hard drive. Ready that to rock. Apparent, yeah, apparently you just plug it into the back of your uh, or the front of your PS4. I had no idea that it was that simple. I, I was figured you'd have to swap some stuff out on the inside or open up that case, but it's just as easy as plugging in an external. You're you're extending your drive rather than replacing it. Yeah, no, exactly. And anyway, so I'm excited about that. I picked up Pyre. I picked up Project Cars 2. I picked up the collector's edition of um, Dragon Age Origins. Uh, nice. Origins? No, not Origins. In, 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 what's the, the most recent Inquisition? One? Inquisition, yeah. I picked that up. I had it on, um, I had the normal version, but this comes with all the DLC, which I'm excited about. I really probably would have rather had this as a, as like a physical copy, but I guess they don't make that anymore. So I picked Yo, it up DLC. for like... DLC! Yeah, you know me. Yeah, no physical yeah. copy on that one, buddy. Yeah, none of that. Well, I mean, there was a Game of the Year edition right. uh, that came out that's just not out anymore. And so right. anyway, it was like 10 bucks on the PlayStation Store, so obviously I had to pick that up. Um, so yeah, all of those I'm excited for in the future. But back to my original point, over the past two to three weeks, almost exclusively, I have been settling down with Breath of the Wild, the new Zelda for the Switch, which is a, let me just spoiler it right here, a fucking masterpiece. I am so jelly. Or a master sword, whichever, depending on. I love that. I love what you did there. Yeah, yeah. This game has captivated my heart. It has captured my mind, my soul, my body, my sleep. Um, it's taken just about every, every ounce of my spare time. Uh, and I got to tell you, um, as the guy who's been walking around, I'm sure as most, well, not most, but many people have, uh, with Ocarina of time as the number one in his heart. Um, boy, I got to tell you, breath of the wild squeaks in pretty damn close to the level of nostalgia and love I have for that game. They did it right. I, and buddy, it shows you look at the sales numbers in Japan uh, just to give you a feeling, one million copies sold in Japan. And yeah, I believe it. And that is the peak. Uh, no Zelda game has hit that mark um, since uh, Ocarina of Time. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't know yeah. that. True Interesting. Story. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's really no surprise. So just let me give you, I mean, again, you know, if you don't know about Breath of the Wild at this point, it's it was literally for, you know, whatever, nine months, the only reason to buy a Switch and a damn compelling one as well. Um, and the amount of hype that this guy got when the Switch first launched with it as a launch title was massive. I mean, it was enough for me to almost drop 400 bucks on a system to play one game. And in retrospect, if I had known how good it was, I probably would have bought the system because I'm just enjoying it more than I've enjoyed any other game in recent memory. So. I mean, dude, take a look at take a look at some of these game of the years that this guy won. Take a look at these Game Informer Game of the Year, the Game Awards Game of the Year, Polygon Game of the Year, Wired Game of the Year, IGN Game of the Year, Gamespot Game of the Year, Eurogamer Game of the Year. That's a lot of fucking Game of the Year. I'm not convinced, Andy. No, <laughs> I mean I get it, but I'm not convinced. Yeah, no, I I I, I got you. So without you know without too, without digging into it too deeply, um. 
I would say that all of these game of the years, I've read through their reasoning. You know, I've I've, I've either watched or, or in some other way digested the content from those events, and everybody's got a great point. I'm sold. If there was an Andy Purple Dungeon Squid Dank Dan game of the year, I think we'd have to give it there, even though you haven't played it. No switch, haven't played it. Severely jealous. <laughs> no doubt. So. Can I can I talk? So let me let me ask you a question. You played you played obviously Ocarina of Time. Does it does it sit in as high on the list for you as it does for me? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a gem of the sixty four. Yeah, no kidding. And so if you were to, I mean, again, you haven't played this yet. So if you were to describe the kind of Zelda that you would want, what what would you be looking for out of the game? Man, uh, you want the world to be steeped in intrigue. Uh, you want to be a, a young child. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, let loose into a, an expanse with, mm-hmm. of course, a classic looming and and, and rising evil uh, to match yourself against um, by way of acquiring a increasingly powerful set of skills, abilities, magics, and compatriots. I think that's the only way to go about it. <laughs> I gotta say, man, for off the cuff, that's a pretty. T- it's a pretty good, pretty good summation of what makes Zelda Zelda. I have to, I kind of have to hand it to you on that one. Um, yeah, I mean that that pretty much sums up, you know, my expectations of a Zelda game. And to be fair, you know, the last Zelda that I participated in, I didn't try Skyward Sword. Didn't uh, didn't plug that one in. Um, I missed Wind Waker when that was out on the GameCube. Just it never really spoke to me. Uh, but I did try Twilight Princess on the Wii, which just you know, it wasn't a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. It was a good game. Twilight um, Princess sounds like a My Chemical Romance album. <laughs> I'll agree. It's not It's not the best. But I mean, that being said, Zelda's not exactly known for its, you know, sly or subtle themes, right? The, the right. game is, yeah, the game, um, the story element of Zelda has never been full of twists and turns and... Um, you know, uh, subtle wrinkles. The game is overt, right? It tells mm-hmm. you what it is. The story is yeah. very easily spelled out. You know, Ocarina of Time was go get a bunch of stones so you can fight back Ganon, who's taken over the world functionally. And this isn't all that much different. But the themes in it are strong. The people are strong. The places are strong. And so coming into this, I wanted that kind of that kind of sense of wonder. Um, have you seen the graphics on this? Like, I mean, have you actually watched some gameplay footage? I've I know poured you've seen over but. Uh, so much gameplay footage, and it it looks gorgeous. Yeah, man. Well, and what's what struck me, and I've already said this about the Switch many times, but um, the handheld mode, you know, for me, there was some whisperings of you know going into handheld mode and maybe seeing some decreased performance or something some like jittering, that. Some jittering, some V sync issues. Is that was that what people are saying, or is that? There, I, I heard I, early. I heard people talking a little bit about uh, they call it tearing which is okay. a, a graphical artifacting issue. Yeah, I, I haven't encountered any of that. The The visuals on the handheld mode, uh, I, I can't gush more about the, the handheld mode on the Switch. I've already done it so many times, but it, it always just, it, it feels like the new frontier, the new and novel thing, which is being able to play these gorgeous games in handheld mode, which evidenced by the fact that I went out and bought a, a Vita right after the Switch, um, you know, points out that I love experiencing games this way. But, you know, bringing it back to Breath of the Wild, when Ocarina of Time came out, it felt like nothing I'd ever played before. I actually remember, um, I remember going to Blockbuster, which was the movie. Is that was that a North America wide or that wasn't Canada only, was it? Uh, uh, North America. 
Yeah, for sure. Because because didn't didn't they try and do like a, anyway? Why are we going down the blockbuster? It doesn't matter. But uh, <laughs> keep it fresh. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you what blockbuster had though. Blockbuster had Phil. Blockbuster had Phil back in 1998 or 99 when this came out. He was the he was the older like 18 year old guy who was really into video games when I was still but a, but a lad. And uh, you know Phil. Uh, was the guy that I went to every time I, I appeared at Blockbuster to to kind of uh, point me in the right direction of what game I needed to rent on my you know my mom's debit card, and Zelda. The way that this guy spoke about it was that it was this open world game, like you know, and that was not a concept I was particularly um, that I knew anything about. And when that game finally made it onto my home N sixty four system, the sense of scope, the sense of presence in a world, the sense of, you know, mystery and adventure beyond what I could see in, in the zone I was in presently was what made that game as mind blowing as it was. And I'm super excited that this game does exactly the same thing very, very well. What's over the, you know, what's over the, the next hill, what's on top of the next mountain it feels like a mystery and it feels like something I want to explore. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. That that space that used to be taken up by an, an overworld map, you're suddenly in that space, which sort of, uh, in, if you look at back a, at games like Dragon Quest, that overworld was kind of uh, hand-woven. You just kind of hand-waved it off. There's some encounters, but now you're in it. The world extends from here to there and everywhere in between. Yeah, and and, and that's, that's exactly right. Like, so... I had to ask myself, what is different in Breath of the Wild than other open world games? Because there's a lot of them right now. You just finished up with Horizon Zero Dawn, correct? Yeah, we're lousy with overworld games. There's, 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 everything's open world. Yeah, a ton of them came out in 2017. And you know, even since games like Fallout, for example, Dragon Age Inquisition, um, Fallout, sorry, I mean Fallout 3, obviously. But um, you know, the, these games have come out, Oblivion, Morrowind, um, what's the newest one, Skyrim. And there's no absence of vast worlds to explore. And what I found, or what I find in most of these games is I enjoy them, I like them, I get into them, I'm excited about the setting. But the sense of mystery and, and exploration uh, to, that, that you know, would drive you to recklessly tearing across the land, it's not there for me as much. Those games, I feel like I wanna find those story threads and weave my way through it. Zelda Breath of the Wild, the way that they've created a setting that's vast, feels filled with mystery, every area feels like the frontier, um, it just makes me want to charge over it, even you know, regardless of the story, but to explore and experience all of it, which is really neat. And I think I know the reason why. It's because the movement feels so damn good, right? It's because the movement has, movements I don't think has ever been done better in a game. You know, running around as Link has you jumping on the side of mountains and climbing. There's this fatigue bar that, you know, will fill up to a certain amount and then you'll slide down the mountain. And it sounds like an elementary idea in practice. You know, you can climb over anything. Assassin's Creed's been doing that forever. But when, you, when, it put, when it's put into practice of this sprawling world of Hyrule and all of the crevices that Nintendo um, has, has gone ahead and created for Link to explore, it it genuinely creates this sense that you can go anywhere and do anything uh, with the, you know, within the engine, the, the context of the engine of the game. So the exploration feels incredible because the movement is so, I guess you could call it organic. 
Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it does. For example, the, there's there's four there's four major dungeons in the game, similar to you know pretty much every Zelda game that's come before it, and you can explore them or, or take them on in any in any order that you want to. Which I just I felt I felt was pretty neat. It's it it creates this this space where as you're moving and progressing towards the zone that you're supposed to be in or the zone that you can go to advance the story. Um, you always feel like you're making progress in that direction, but you're at the same time exploring everything else in the interim, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And so in terms of story, are you dropped right into it? Do you need to stumble upon it? Does it does it sort of come up on you slow? How does that how does that play out? Yeah, well, that's a, I mean, it's a good question. The story I wouldn't say is the, like, listen, I'm not calling it a bad story by any stretch of the imagination, but I would say that the setting and the context of the story are more interesting than the story itself. The story is your typical Ganon has returned and taken over Hyrule. And now you, you know, you got to go out there and, and take him down by uniting whatever power stones or getting the master sword, or in this case, activating the ancient beasts, right? Who are going to help you take on Ganon. Fun thing about Ganon is you can take him on at any time. You can just charge down and and you know take him on. I haven't done that yet, um, but you don't need to defeat all of those dungeons to get to end game effectively. I think there's been speed runs online where people have have done it in a matter of hours, right? So it's you know it's a game that says, hey, you know here's here's what you can do. Go and do whatever you like. And the way that they pad out the content in this game is they've also got shrines all over the place. And shrines are these basically self-contained puzzles. So you go into a shrine and you have these physics-based abilities, which is you can freeze water or you can, you know, um, stop an, an, an object in time and hit it a bunch of times. And then when the ability runs out, it goes flying in the direction of the inertia you've created. You've got magnetism to play around with. So basically, you know, the game feels like it's given you all of these interesting toys to play with. And it gives you all of these shrines for you to explore and all of these puzzles outside of these shrines for you to explore with those tools. Um, in this almost arcadey kind of way, you know what I mean? It sounds like uh, you get the sandbox, and uh, Breath of the Wild says, "Here's some toys. They work in a bunch of ways, and sort of sets you off to experiment with those." When I dive into a Nintendo game right now, and again, my my best examples being Mario and Zelda. Um, there's this spirit of fun that's been captured in both of them where they're a not afraid to break the rules, not afraid to try something new, but manage to stick the landing in both because they focused on not novelty, but fun. Right. And I, uh, I really dig that. You know, there's some, there's some weird quirks to breath of the wild. There's this system called item degradation, which is like a holdover from old school dungeons and dragons, right? It's like, you know, you don't get a lot of games doing item degradation right now. Breath of the wild does this thing where, you know, you get, for example, you'll, you'll kill a basic enemy and you'll get like a wooden sword or you'll get a shield or a bow and arrow or something like that. And, um, you can use it for a pretty short period of time before it breaks. So you're constantly carrying like eight or nine weapons. You're constantly killing like one or two or three enemies and having a weapon break. And initially that was super annoying and felt like a really tone deaf decision. But it actually, it, it actually kind of keeps things fresh. You know, it, it's, it feels strange. The fiction of it is weird. You're constantly like just breaking a bunch of weapons against the hordes of enemies that are thrown at you. But it keeps you switching up your play style pretty often. It keeps you from relying on one weapon throughout the whole game to kind of carry you through. You're going from using, you know, uh, 
a rod that shoots electrical bolts to using a spear to using a bow to using a sword and shield to using a claymore and you're just alternating through all of those weapons constantly it's pretty neat yeah it seems like a game that rewards experimentation that that system makes a lot of sense and uh, like as a developer you can kind of hand your player some power knowing that it's a limited time offer yeah, and that I, that's actually a really great point. Um, and they do that in a way that encourages you to take advantage of that power. How can I put this? In an RPG, I find myself often stockpiling things. You ever do that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 99 like, potions, brah. 99 <laughs> potions. You got that scroll of electrical, you know, dev- destruction since level two. And you're not using it because you're going to save it for that, you know, whatever, big, bad end boss fight that never comes. Um here it feels like you get your fire arrows, you get your water arrows, you get your ice arrows. And because not only is everything breaking all the time, but it's actually kind of scarce to have moderately powerful things. Like generally, if you're killing your run of the mill enemies, you're getting kind of weak stuff. So in your shrines or when you defeat a particularly powerful enemy, you'll, you'll sometimes grab a nice weapon, but because they break so easily, you're kind of, you're kind of, and you can only carry a, a maximum amount of them. You're kind of encouraged to keep just using them in in exciting ways which which gives you those little hits of power here and there it's it's a weird it's a weird dynamic but it definitely works yeah that makes a lot of sense and it it speaks to uh uh stopping my my worst demons which are like just keep that spear forever man just hold on to it <laughs> hold on to it tight and um yeah man you know so you know i could i could we could go through a laundry list of all of the things in this game that are really cool. There's, there's a bunch of subsystems that are fun, like cooking, for example, it's, it's not something you think of when you think of Zelda, you know, some sort of crafting or cooking system, but the cooking is really pleasant. It's simple, you know, as you're, as you're going across the world. And actually part of the reason that exploration is so interesting is because you're constantly picking up food or elixir items you know you'll you'll jump on a tree so that you can glide down off the side of a mountain with your hand glider which is a uniquely amazing feeling um but as you're in the top of the tree there's like three apples there right or you know you're running through a field and there's mushrooms and wheat to pick up or whatever the situation might be you jump in the water and there's a fish to take zelda stardew valley Yeah, exactly. Well, it's it, and you know it's it almost feels excessive at times because you're like rolling around and you're constantly hitting that that uh, that button off to the side so that you can pick up random shit. Oh, I just picked up a fish. Oh, I just picked up a leaf. Oh, I just picked up a whatever moonlit flower. Link uh, smells like a walking dumpster. <laughs> he's just rolling around with everything in the field. Um, but then you get to town and you get to Kakariko village or whatever. And there's a, there's a pot bubbling away on a, on a fire and you roll up. The menus are kind of shit. I will, I will throw this, throw some shade this way. Uh, the menus kind of suck. You get in there and you have to, it just, it feels clumsy. There's no quick select from outside of the menu. You have to go into the menu and click on an apple and a steak and a you know mushroom and, and put it all together and then throw it in the fire. So that feels a little tedious, but it's cool. You're, you're, you're experimenting. You're putting different ingredients together. Some of them give you cold resistance. Some of you give you bonus damage. You know, some of them will give you extra hearts above and beyond how many you've got. And, um, yeah, it just, again, another factor of encouraging experimentation. Uh, you know, I was watching some of this cooking stuff and what struck me is this game that, that rewards experimentation has so much to do, so many different items. It seemed to me the best, the best food item 
was a very complex, very mysterious five meats. Now, five meats? Yeah, just put five meats together. That's that's the the, the best item that I that I I've seen so far. I'm like, it's kind of on the nose. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, I think that would probably give you the most hearts, but I'm not sure that that's the best food item. Cause again, don't forget they give you, they give you supplementary benefits. So, ah. you know, what I found, what I found is that you don't gain hearts in the same way that you did in Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time, you beat the first dungeon, you get another heart. You beat the second dungeon, you get another heart. And so wherever you're at in the game, they can kind of tune the difficulty based on the number of hearts that they know you have, right? Uh, this game, very different. You can go through the whole game having you know a minimal amount of hearts, four, five, six. You know, the first dungeon, I actually had to leave and uh, and go out and you know do some shrines and, and get some orbs so that I could get a new heart so that I could just survive long enough to defeat the, the end boss right and so it's it's interesting because all of the items in the game food included feed into this system but not in a balanced way. You can have food that will heal 15 hearts when you've only got four. And very quickly you realize, oh, I shouldn't be putting together extremely potent, food right now i should be saving my five steaks you know and making five separate potions that heal two hearts a piece so it just just some cool stuff like that that you can see how it scales as you get more powerful right the best type of game inventory management yeah. <laughs> and i don't mean to make it sound like an inventory management simulator but in many ways it you know kind of is like but it, in a way where you get stuff and then you play with it right? You get your, you get your, your food and then you play with it. You get your weapons and then you play with them and it keeps, it, you know, you can, you can ignore that part of the game. You don't have to be deep into it. Um, you can just make your food and, and call it a day and just cook things five at a time and away you go. But if you want to sit back and enjoy the whimsy of what breath of the wild has for you, it's, it's a pretty exciting thing to do. Gotcha, pretty, man. I'm looking forward to, uh, picking up a switch. Yeah, and I mean, listen, nobody's uh, nobody's shattering any ground by saying this, but um, this game, uh, it it feels to me just as groundbreaking as Ocarina did to my uh, to my young self. It captures the open world. It captures that feeling of an open world in exactly the right way. And yeah, it's my it's my favorite game since Ocarina for sure. High praise. Amen, High praise. Brother. You heard it here, man. Um, and yeah, so it's very, very beginner friendly, uh, eases you into all of the subsystems, um, doesn't even open up more advanced combat until like one, maybe two hours into the game. So it's neat because you start off on this peninsula and it gives you these abilities that I was talking about previously, magnetism, uh, you know, whatever, freezing water, um, uh, manipulating gravity and stuff. It, it, it it gives them to you one at a time in specifically designed puzzles uh, where you're using this these uh, these powers frequently, right? And you know, after you've done that, it doesn't give you all of this the trappings of the combat system. There's jumping side to side. There's doing backflips. There's doing excuse me. There's doing parries. And all of that only comes in after you've explored for a little while and made your way to Kakarika Village, where you'll go into a shrine that will show you how to do all of these things. Um, so. It just, it felt really metered out. And, you know, as as a player that was kind of not new to Zelda, but was new to this game, uh, I felt very much eased into it. Um, and similarly, uh, it is 420 friendly, but <laughs> probably not if you want to make any meaningful progress. 
<laughs> and that can be said probably about a lot of games, but I, I will tell you the puzzles in this game are actually really difficult. You know, if you're not, if you're, and, and I, they were actually, they were so satisfying because there was always a solution I'd come to within 10, 15 minutes, right? That I never wanted to go onto Google and just spoil it for myself. And so as I was working through the first dungeon, um, which was the, the water one for the Zoras, right? I found myself, you know, butting up against uh, the challenge of trying to manipulate this dungeon in a way where I could get through it and, uh, you know, achieve all five checkpoints that I needed to achieve. It was a bit of a brain burner. Uh, and so I can see having, you know, ha having smoked, smoked down on some dank weed, it might've been a little bit challenging to get into that, uh, get into that headspace of puzzle solving. But that being said, the game is a pleasure to just amble through, discover things. Uh, but yeah, those shrines and dungeons can be brain burners. So I, I might, I might say you, you wouldn't have the patience for that after smoking. You might just want to glide around on some mountains. It sounds like even if you can't solve the puzzle, though, you're still having a good time. Yeah, you're still well. Yeah, you're still you're still having a great time. So yeah, big uh, big purple dungeon tentacle up for Breath of the it. Wild. Boom, Breath of the Wild. Boom, there it is, man. There it is. And now, uh, you know, now is the sad part where I kind of have to put it on the back burner a bit so I can talk about something different next week. It's and tough. that is genuinely sad. It's, it's genuinely tough. sad. It's a tough moment. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Dan? You played uh, you played Tomb Raider, right? You've been playing Tomb Raider. I rolled back the stone, I opened the sarcophagus, and held within was 2013's Tomb Raider. <laughs> I, this, this one, um, I don't know if, it, if it's a surprise or if it's disparaging to say so, but this one flew right over me. I don't even remember this releasing. Yeah, well, I'll tell you something. I, I left Laura Croft behind um, when her, her breasts were, were still pointy and polygonal. <laughs> and uh, in, in those moments, uh, I found her intriguing, but I found her game... Uh, difficult uh, in a way that uh, wasn't fun. The camera right. wouldn't obey me. I was often feeling like a weird angle, and it just it wasn't doing my, doing it for me. So, uh, uh, Laura and I par parted ways, uh, only to meet again on her 2013 uh, release. And it it made sense because this is a reboot. Uh, we're taken to uh, the start of uh, Laura's uh, you know journey into uh, tomb raiding. Uh, before she raided yet even a single tomb. Even um, a single tomb. <laughs> yeah. You know, she has uh, the story jumps you right in into in Meteor Res. You're on a boat, um, you know, in, in the, on the ocean on an expedition um, with uh, some well-worn compatriots. They seem to be, uh, you know, uh, you're a crew that you're, you're close with. They know your father. Some of them uh, served with your father who seemed to be an explorer as well. Right. And you're searching for the, the mystical islands of Yamatai uh, with uh, another explorer who seems to be easily, he gave you douche chills right from the beginning. Uh, and, the uh, old douche chill alarm. That's right. And you, you, you have your own, Lara has her own theory of where Yamatai is. Uh, and he's in uh, disagreement with that, but they end up following Lara's instincts, which um, you do find the Island of Yamatai, but are quickly, your ship is dashed upon the rocks oh. um, in a, in a vicious storm. So uh, let me tell you, you, this game uh, has an incredible sort of cinematic feeling to that. You, you find yourself um, washed up ashore um, on the island of Yamatai, separated from your crew, and immediately you get this, the game has built itself as a survival open world game. Now, it really? is that, really? but only by 2013 standards. <laughs> oh, I was not expecting that at all. 
Right. A and, survival and, open world game. Fascinating. And that's what it builds itself at. A survival open world game, this is not. Yeah. Um, someone someone played Minecraft and then was like, Tomb Raider is going, there it is. Is going to do something here. Yeah, let, let me tell you, from the very onset, you're on the side of a cliff looking down at all these dashed ships. Not just yours, some others have clearly met their fate here. If, even for 2013, the world is beautiful. Um, it, it's um, subtle in, the, in its realism in the sense that Everything that is around you looks very real, but is still beautiful. Um, right. The game does do something that really grinds my gears. It says, you know, decrease the brightness of your screen until you can't see this word anymore. And I always do it just to see what they, how they tend me to play their game. And I'm, I'm in a, I'm in pitch black essentially. Like, right. <laughs> like this is an unplayable game. So this I is this the, is realism realism simulator where if you don't have a light source, you're fucked. And if you do have a light source, you can see five feet. Yeah, you're still screwed. So, um, you kind of find yourself ambling through what they call an open world. But let me tell you something, Andy. There's one way in and out of every area, and the walls are bordered. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, oh. that there's a mountain there. All oh, those bushes, you can't go through those. Um, you know, that's the best example of you see that place over there. You can go there. No, wait, yeah. no, 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 you can't. No, sorry. That's not, a not feature. there, not there, there, but not there. <laughs> so, you know, you, you find yourself unarmed. You're, you're making your way through the woods. You actually find a, a bow on a, on a body. And so at the beginning you're, you're brandishing this bow and, and hunting some deer, um, for experience and salvage. That sounds, um, <laughs> that sounds awful. All right. Well, listen, like you kind of had to give your players something to do. And I have to say the, 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 the maps, and I can only call them maps because they're individualized stages. They really are, are beautiful. And the deer look beautiful. And, and the, the environment is reasonably really realistic for the time. And the levels look natural. It doesn't look like uh, the you know, developer put something here and then there. It looks good. Um, you know, but as that's, you, that's different than, than how it looks in my head. You know, I've still got, I've still got, Old old triangle boob, <laughs> yeah. Crop running she's not through her wearing, PlayStation she's not One. Wearing, yeah, she's not wearing those circular glasses. Oh, and... those glasses were the worst, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> those That's glasses. How cool she was. Yeah, no, those glasses were like, ugh, just just the ultimate in uh, in in murderers of of young preteen fantasies. And, and because um, uh, Laura Croft is uh, Indiana Jones Barbie. Um, you have a number of outfits that you can try on. Uh, no. Yeah. Ugh. So I, I had, I picked, who is this game for, <laughs> uh, for me, man, I, I have to say all of these limitations of what it's not, it does achieve a level of fun. So, you know, you, you're, you're first, you come up against some wolves and you're getting an idea of the story. There is what seems to be a band of mercenaries on this Island. You come to learn that they're trapped there as you are. They, they've kind of gone, they, their leader is um, gone pretty deep into the occult. Um, there's a presence on this island um, that is essentially an ancient uh, demon sun princess that has been resurrected through many bodies and, and is currently her soul lies dor dormant, but is keeping anyone from leaving um, because every time someone tries to leave, a, a freak storm uh, swells up and, and swallows you. And this game does something that sometimes I don't like. There are artifacts all over the island that piece together a story. Um, journals um, from different perspectives, from ancient uh, chi Chinese warriors, 
from POWs from World oh, it's War like II. A, it's like a mist situation. I like that. Right. I dig yeah, that. Yeah, and and they're voiced, which I love. There's also artifacts. What, what do you not What do you not like about that? I well, sometimes it's like it, if it's not voiced, if it's text, like you slam 15 pages of text at me in the middle of me doing something, and I have to read that to get the story. Like this, it's friggin' Zork. I don't like that. But yeah, this, I get that. Well, it, it's like it, it's like a, kind of like a kind of like a you know Skyrim and and really the Elder Scrolls series really does this where they put they put history of the world everywhere. Um but in those instances it feels feels appropriate cuz you can kind of skip over it if you don't really care about it, but if you do care about it you get into it. But I I feel you actually cuz thinking about it in retrospect, I would like to know about those worlds a little bit more. And it feels like because it's not voiced, I never read the books. So point taken, point taken. Right, and and so it's dramatically voiced, which only adds to it. Great voice acting in you know in video games, we know uh, voice acting can be touch and go. Um, and there's also artifacts that you pick up along the way. And Laura comments on these artifacts, uh, the time period, what it was probably used for. You can um, very often by examining it um, on a three dimensional axis uh, discover something uh, additional about it um you know there's some paint on the inside of this mask it was probably um uh, worn by uh, a japanese um play i think there's a name for it, kabuki theater um you know so she, it's it's funny you find this jade figurine from the second century you examine it there's a, a price tag on the bottom then she's like oh no this is a fake wow so, so it's pretty great so as you go along the story um there are some bonus temples that have some puzzle solving in them um, that is pretty rudimentary. I mean, I, I scratch my head for like 30 seconds, and very often as I'm running into the temple, I'm hitting things and turning switches before I've even looked at what's going on because I know it's going to be a fairly straight line. Interesting, but not not a real noodle scratcher. Right. Um, and as you go on, the, the I have to say Laura um, moves well. There's a fair amount of climbing and uh, environments that take some sort of scaling. There are villages and there's some uh, old architecture and there's some exploring. This game is rife with pickups. There's GPS caches. There's, you know, um, in one level, it's you have to find eggs and nests. In another level, it's shooting dream catchers. Um, you know, I only uh, turned a cursory eye to that. Um, but as you go, the story unfolds in, uh, in such a way that there's a lot of cutscenes that mm -hmm. do something that also very often um, wear on me, which is quick time events. Oh, um, uh, yeah. But the game uses them sparingly and in moments that make sense, and it adds to the cinematic feel. And you very often find yourself in scenarios where you are either falling um, through trees or down a waterfall or being carried down rapids, and you kind of have to direct where Laura is going in a way that is is kind of fun and and keeps the tension up um right. but this game does play like a movie from start to finish uh i do have a couple uh beefs with it because you'll be going through the game uh you know running and gunning in, in combat points um eventually now i've been playing the game on hard mode and one of the ways i make it hard mode oh is you're, I you're pushing the limits look at you i pretend like laura only has a bow and I use a bow through the whole game. You have a shotgun, a machine gun, and a pistol. Um, but I, I would say 80% of my foes have fallen to an arrow in the head. Um, I mean, which, I, like, props to you. That's a, it's a badass way to approach that situation. <laughs> and it seems like, seems like it would genuinely be the hardest of modes. 
Well, the combat I have to say is medium challenge, and I, I think from where I'm coming at it, is it uh, like a is sorry, is it a first person or a third person or third, what is it? Third person, and it's like it's like if you ever played Uncharted, it's very much like that. That's kind of the difficulty curve I have. So I'm going for right. headshots. Now the game has a leveling uh, system, so you get more experience for a headshot. So I'm going for that headshot every time. Right, um, and it incorporates combat finishers, and uh, you can you can get a, a skill called dirty tricks. You're throwing dirt in people's eyes and you know blowing up barrels and and whatnot um you, you know but what the, the thing that, that beefs me about the game is suddenly in in at least four instances and i'm only 90 percent through the game you just get captured it's oh, like oh yeah. no you're captured now and i'm like no i gotta shot those guys in the face for sure i haven't even used my gun yet dude i i have it on my back i'll just i'll murder everyone and just you're just <laughs> suddenly you're taking what uh, just pisses me off to no end is yeah you know what i have scene, to i have to agree with you on this one because getting captured in a game actually it, it's probably the the most momentum crushing thing that can happen right you think of a game like uh, metal gear solid sons of liberty there's a moment where you get captured and, and it just it, it grinds the action to a halt you know absolutely and especially when it did it feels like no let me fight it out because i can do this um and what, what pisses me off is in the next scene, you're like hanging upside down in an area and you just get out and then you're on your way again. I'm like, that capturing wasn't even, you just want to move me to a new place. And I feel yeah. like you didn't know how to write it. And come on. Yeah, it's Horrible. like, it's it's the, it, taking that, you know, it's you got to be really careful when you're taking away player agency in any situation, right? Because the thing about a video game is it's it's almost always a power fantasy in some way or another, right? And, you know, you, when, you're, when you're playing through a video game and all of a sudden the video game arbitrarily takes away your power, arbitrarily takes away your agency, it can feel really deflating. And the investment that you have in the, in the, in the, you know, the abilities of your character can just feel, feel flat, you know, it's so, I, I, I feel that entirely. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, through the, through the story, you can tell that Laura is going through an arc. Um, you're losing shipmates as you go. Um, you're, some of them uh, point out that you are responsible whether you are or not. And she's really being put through the paces. She, she falls quite a the distance a number of times. Gets, what's that? The young Lara Croft. That's this is right. Her, this, is, this is her like in her, in her naive youth phase, right? That's, that's what we're dealing with? That's right. And you, she comes upon a couple situations where you can tell she has to make a hard decision and it's like a formative moment for her. For her and the yeah. game does a good job of that. The actual storytelling in the game is, is quite, quite good in places. You found, so you found, a, you found an attachment to Lara Croft, really. You, you, you got... Because like, to me, that character is so vapid. It's, it's, it's this... And, you know, I mean, strong female lead that I just I don't get anything other than badass chick. You know, I don't get I don't get any other layers of depth from. And I admittedly, I played the games a long time ago, uh, mostly on PC and didn't get too far in any of them. But so so this Lara Croft has some has some depth to her, you're saying it more so than any other entry I've played so far. And don't get me wrong, I'm going to leave her in the dust, but she has been the most nuanced she ever has been. <laughs> And I appreciate that. <coughs> um, additionally, um, there is uh, a more recent release, uh, 2016 or 2017 uh, Laura Croft release that I've, I've heard great things about, so I'll be moving on to that as soon as I finish this one off. Um, for me, this game is uh, you know, kind of good, not great. The story is good, not great. 
Um, for for 2013, it's it's a shining game. Um, you know that 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 gets really gritty. Um, you know, and it's kind of fun. It's a little bit of a romp. It's not too hard. Um, you know, and graphically kind of gets the job done. So there's a lot right about this game. It's it's a play. I think I think you should pick it up. Uh, nice. You know, get the chance. Give give it a run around if you're a Laura Croft fan at all. Um, this this is for you for sure. It, That's it the injects jam. some depth into the character, and you get to get to see some of the turning points of uh, how did Laura Croft become so badass? There oh, and go. also your sister's in it. Um, um, Sister Croft, Sam, I believe her name is. Sister and, Croft. <laughs> and and I feel like the game is leading up to me having to decide if I sacrifice my sister or not. Spoilers, but uh, who who knows? Is that gonna come? Am Ooh. I gonna have to? Am I gonna have to to sacrifice my sister, or am I gonna? Let all my shipmates die so she can live. Who knows if it's going to come to that moment. Yeah, man. That is, uh, that is a, a for the greater good kind of conversation. Lara Croft getting deep and philosophical. Um, cool. Well, is it beginner friendly? Would you, would you say uh, you, know, you can kind of jump right into it or is there a learning curve? Totally absent from this game is um, the double guns Lara Croft. I wonder if that's gonna, it's going to give me that in one of the last levels as well. Um, but to answer your question... Yeah, uh, it is beginner friendly, and it uh, it sort of walks you into it slowly. Um, feel free to get uh, blaze beyond belief and chase deer through the forest. Um, but you can really take the game at your pace. Uh, each level sort of lets you take its time. Um, you know, there's 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 uh, a steady pace to the whole thing. So yeah, uh, get Blitzkrieged and jump in there. Yeah, all right, little 420 and Croft. I dig it. I dig it. I Boom. dig it. Speaking of 420 and Croft, what about uh, what about we switch over to the smoke sesh here, dude? Let's you want to jump into there and talk video games after? Let's crack into that smoke session. Session. Hello there, Dan. Here's the smoke sesh. Ready oh, to smoke it down. That's my favorite part. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the best part of this podcast. I oh, man. I'm like, can we stop this nonsense and, and, and fucking join down on this? Blaze You're like, down? why are we talking, man? Let's just hit the couch, uh, blaze down, and, and, and go back to our lives. <laughs> and let's, just, let's just stop all this. No, no, yeah. that's great. That's a great it's front good. half. I'm ready for the second half. <laughs> You're ready Andy. for the second half and some weed. And some weed. Andy, I'm going to ask you the question you asked me. What are we smoking today, buddy? Ooh, what are we smoking, Ooh, my dude? Oh, we. Yes. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take on this segment as, as uh, Stephen Urkel. Can I smoke that? Oh, I wish you're dead. Oh, Jesus. Strong, strong. And uh, speaking of strong, I have got some Girl Scout cookies today. It is a, a golden friend to many out in the world of weed loving. Um, the Girl Scout cookies could not possibly be any more popular. I've had them many times. I enjoy them thoroughly, and today I'm going to go deep and not just enjoy it as a smoke, but take some time to explore this beautiful, uh, very popular strain. What about you? Oh, you got the GSC. I love that. Um, I went down uh, to the bud tender, and I said, um, hit me up with something hot, uh, something that looks great, and he handed me um, several fine nugs of 
Lemon Haze. Lemon Haze. Oh, nice. I bet you, oh, calling Citrus on Leafly today. <laughs> calling I, Citrus it, on that one. It's, it's, it smells like a boot, and uh, <laughs> it, it has an aroma of fresh shark fin. <sighs> wow okay well that was unexpected um uh, but but truthfully give me give me the rundown on your lemon haze how's it looking uh, how's it smelling okay so um i got a got a crown here long bud um it's uh i i'm guessing uh that we're dealing with a sativa hybrid i think um the buds are loose um in terms of the overall uh structure um but they're there are small buds so they are compact in that nature pulls apart pretty easily it's not over dry. Uh, it is hairy, hairy, hairy um, with sort of yellow, orange trichomes. Um, and it's um, a light green color. Um, a little bit leafy, um, but the nose on it is just like you kind of mentioned. I'm getting, I'm getting, uh, there's sweet in there. There's lemon in there. There's an unknown flavor. And... It's always that fucking unknown flavor. I feel like anytime I'm dealing with cannabis, it's like the first two flavors are are easy to get. The last one is always searching the the deep annals of your brain for when the fuck did I smell that? So yeah, like I as I give a little like gentle repeated sniff, you know what it kind of smells like? It kind of smells like horsehair. <laughs> horse hair my goodness uh, and not just horse hair i i wish i didn't have to say these words a little bit musty horse hair musty horse hair so like an old shoe brush yeah <laughs> <laughs> sounds like the kind of cannabis you want to be uh smoking in your oh, well i don't think i i don't smell the boot black you're referring to but yeah gotcha. and i it's funny because i didn't until I got really deep into it, I couldn't, I didn't really detect that. And we're actually going to touch on some troubling elements later in the podcast. But uh, right, so there you we go. got a little bit of ammo up front there. I'll start uh, packing if you want to start uh, yakking. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, that was Andy levels of cheese right there. I appreciate that. Um, let me see. Boy, so these Girl Scout cookies are, uh, they're a real treat. You know, it's the, it's the kind of nug you're looking at and you go, yep, that is, that is the kind of nug I want to get always, right? It's just faintly a little sticky uh and and a little 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 powdery a little frosty um what's interesting is the hairs in this guy you know there's a little bit of purple but it's almost more pinky there's some pinky pinky hairs running through these girl scout cookies um you know pinky light lavender cracking it apart it's like a little bit fudgy in the middle which is just always a treat um, you know, the, it's a, a pretty frosty nug in as, in as much as, as frosty nugs go. And let me just get a, let me get a smell on this guy. Really? It is. I, I shit you not. And I, I, I hope it's not my brain just playing tricks on me because we're dealing with Girl Scout cookies, but this is like smelling a chocolate covered digestive cookie. Wow. No joke. hundred percent. Yeah, it's there. It's got that sweetness, that milk chocolate sweetness. It smells like a treat. Smells like a biscuit treat. There's a little bit of that toast caramel note underneath, you know, that you you get in a digestive cookie, like a really kind of uh, weedy digestive cookie. And it, it overall, like, there's even just a little. I can almost like taste that that three grains of salt in the back of my throat. So it's boy, it is it is uh, exactly as advertised on the tin. Wow, how, it's like how do you achieve that as a grower? It's so impressive. Yeah, it's uh, cool, man. It's cool, and and you know, again, you know. 
it's like it's like anything. It's like tasting uh, wine. It's like you know understanding flavors in food. Like it's it's obviously a little bit subjective. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of your own taste buds playing into there. But I have to say, it's pretty pronounced. Like I'm I'm really getting this, and I'm curious to see what uh, what the interwebs has to do has to say to back me up. Um, I, I'm pretty sure this uh, G- GSC is a serious grower strain, so I'm interested as well. Should I chief down on this? Why don't we both chief down? Let's let's go down. Let's let's tee off at the same same hole here, friend. You know what? <laughs> at the same hole. I think those days are gone, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. What do you uh, What do you say we get it? Get in on this? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm positioned and ready. I'm ready to go. This is unfiltered, no percolation, right out of a Sherlock. Ooh, so it's uh, it's very much sweet. Um, I got a little bit of sweet, little bit of burnt tobacco in there. Interestingly, sweet. Uh, that toasty note, I got that going on also. Really smooth though. Like I got no complaints about the. Uh, about the way that this hits, this is this is a beautiful, delicious strain, as it always is. Yeah, uh, the the lemon haze is very mild, very mild in flavor, easy smoking. Certainly get a little bit of that citrus. Mm-hmm. But there's like a there's something else there, and it. If I hadn't just cleaned my my apparatus, um, my Cheech and Chong fella here, I would say that it's got it's a little bit got a little bit of a stale flavor to it. Almost. Oh, really? Interesting. And uh, it's that hor- it's that it's that musty horse hair going on. I, <laughs> it's starting to bum me out a lot, actually. Um, but I'm just gonna ignore that. Um, yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I just um, you know, uh, one more little one more little puff on here, and I've almost got like a like an almondy. You know, amaretto. Have you ever had I a? You know. A, a oh, you were a bartender. Sour? You were a bartender, right? Exactly. Yeah, that Don't that kind of amaretto past. <laughs> that amaretto sweetness that you get. I got a little bit of that on the end. So th- yeah, this is a this is a favorite of mine. I knew that coming into this. Um, Girl Scout cookies GSC is a is a pleasure to toke on, and it's that it's that same. I hear it's going to sound super weird, but uh, settling into the after effects of GSC is like turning on Mister Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> like There's, you're you're warm and in a friendly place yeah or like my brain has dressed up in a in a nice red cable knit sweater and is about yeah. to say some nice things to you me put you put your indoor shoes on and somebody's saying uh won't you be my neighbor yeah and there's a happy puppet welcoming me into the uh into the the relaxation of the evening you know, the, the horrifying thing is, is that the puppet has no choice that happy face has been painted on it so no matter how deep the despair, it can never express the sadness that's within. Okay, I see the lemon haze is, <laughs> is settling in nicely. <laughs> so I, I took a couple more Jesus. pulls on this. You know, uh, it, it is very mild in flavor all the way around. I couldn't it's get... It's turned uh, you into a, Edgar Allan Poe, it appears. Right, right. I can get a lot of tasting notes off it. However, I do think it was brought across the border on a, a rich calico steed. <laughs> it, was ri- it was ridden into America, eh? Yeah, that's right. Um, can I? Uh, shall I read off the the Girl Scout cookies? Please give me fair Leafly. Give me so Leafly, my Girl Scout cookies. Uh, Leafly lets us know Girl Scout cookies, formerly known as GSC, is an OG Kush and Durban poison hybrid, a throwback to our last episode, uh, whose reputation grew too large to stay within the borders of its 
California homeland. With a sweet and earthy aroma, GSC launches you to Euphoria's top floor, where full body (laughs) relaxation meets a time-bending cerebral space. A little goes a long way with this hybrid, whose THC heights have won GSC numerous Cannabis Cup awards. Patients needing a strong dose of relief, however, may look to GSC for severe pain, nausea, and appetite loss. Wow. All right. GSC. Yeah. And you know what? It's the penthouse of relaxation. I feel that. I feel that entirely. Um, shall I read the byline right beneath it? Yes, please. There are several t- different phenotypes of the GSC strain, including thin mint and platinum cookies. <laughs> Don't I know exhi- it. Which exhibit some variation experience and effect. Typically, however, GSC expresses its beauty in twisting green calyxes. Wrapped oh, in... Okay. <laughs> is it calyxes? Calyx? I have no, I've never heard of a calyx before. I, it's some I, evidently, li- I'm, not a, I'm not a grower. That's some plant lingo. That's, uh, some, that's some plant slang right there. Some street plant slang. Uh, it says, uh, patients and customers, or consumers looking to cultivate this cannabis staple themselves should wait nine to ten weeks for their indoor planets to finish flowering. Let those indoor planets flower. And that, 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 that description was read to you by a leafly through the voice of Jeremy Irons. <laughs> oh, Jeremy Irons, thank you. I don't believe or we're some, paying you enough to, some uh, approximation to join us on the Purple Dungeon Squid. Of, of, of Jeremy Irons. Yeah, so, um, give, so me, give me the, taste, the, give me the tasting profiles. flavors. I'm so curious. Sorry, I'm speaking over you. Um, The flavor profiles are earthy, sweet, and pungent. And the image of the pungent is a nose sniffing either in or out. It's impossible to tell by the the lines. (laughs) Yep, yep. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, and here's the thing. I'm noticing that a lot more of the, because here's, you know, Leafly has an incredible, repository of knowledge here but i find a lot of the time if there's really a pronounced flavor you're going to get it up top in the description not so much from those notes i think those notes are really broad cuts broad strokes right um and you know it's it's fascinating because i i would like at some point to take five different cuts of uh, of girl scout cookies um grown in different conditions with different obviously different growers and see what the flavor differences were from from strain to strain you know or from cut to cut you know it, it would be really fascinating to know how much the environment assuming a good grow you're not you know some amateur closet mold fest or something like that yeah assuming you've got you know talented growers growing girl scout cookies it'd be really interesting to know how much of that flavor is you know the nutrients used or the growing conditions or the temperature um versus you know the actual strains dynamics right yeah you said it man and and you can do a, a strain right and get different characteristics out of it you know, I was reading a little bit about uh, this on, on Leafly, in fact, about how the uh, presentation of terpenes in strains can vary vastly in the way that they were grown. Um, and if you, if you look at what they're saying about lighting techni- uh, techniques, they say uh, you use more red light. Generally speaking, you get less THC. You use more blue light, you get more THC. Really? Uh, yeah, um, which I found fascinating as well. So there's a lot of variables that go beyond uh, seed 
and really uh, lend us to thinking about p potentially epigenetic epigenetics of plants. Sorry, um, epigenetics? Yeah, which is um, a gene that activates or deactivates given certain uh, conditions known as a, a, a method called methylation. Okay. Um, Have you locked Bill Nye in your closet? <laughs> blink, <laughs> blink twice for yes, Bill. <laughs> um, Bill, feed I, me cues while I talk about science and weed, bro. Do it now. Listen, I saved your life in Fallujah. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, wow. All right. Yeah. Gene uh, methylation and expression, like uh, expression of genes, is something we know about in in people. And I, I assume I'm no botanist, but I assume plants as well. And I wonder. I'm if, no uh, doctor. I'm no doc. I'm no plant doctor. Yeah. Be I'd be interested to to learn more about that. More on that on a later episode. Yeah. The the uh, the, the 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 five five cookies and 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 two two guys and five cookies episode. I'm at the nope. edge of my seat. Lost Mr. the plot on that one. Mr. Andy, talk to me about the character. I want to hear the rich tapestry that we have for Lemon Haze. Well, let's see. What is Lemon Haze? Lemon Haze has been characterized as smelling of fresh peeled lemon slices with a similar taste. It's get out of town. No, get out of Dodge. Its uh, buds appear to be green and yellow with amber hairs on the trichomes giving it the yellow tint. Uh, THC has been measured at about 15 to 20% with CBD of 0.38%. So relatively low THC, I, th I think, I would say, or maybe middling. I think, I think 15 to 20% is, uh, is kind of the not going to knock you on your ass level of, uh, of THC, right? Yeah, they, they say that um, old strains used to float more around 10, but you know, 15 to 20 is like, I think, the new standard. Yeah, I know that there's some strains like I think it's Ghost OG um, was the one referenced recently, <clears throat> but that one I think is among the highest and, and clocks in at 26 to 28. Now, again, I, I'm sure it depends on the way that it was grown and what have you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some strains I imagine are naturally more inclined to producing THC, et cetera. So. Interesting. Yeah. Well, out of the science world and into the world of delicious, I have got a little munchie here today, Dan. Are you familiar with Maynard's Swedish berries? Oh, man. This is going to blow your socks off. Uh, yeah, I am very familiar. That's a moviegoer's favorite. What? <laughs> What's going to blow my socks off? I thought you were going to reveal to me you were the heir of the Maynard's fortune or something. Uh, oh, no. It's that I have a Swedish berry for you right here. No, it's that the movie get goers uh, favorite because Swedish berry is delicious and makes no sound when imbibing. I'm chewing it right now. That's right. You don't even necessarily need teeth to, to have this, this delicious red berry. It's the kind of snack you can gum, and I appreciate that about it. Mm-hmm. So, wow, excuse me, I'm just enjoying a Swedish berry here, friends. But um, if you don't know what a Swedish berry is, it's a small candy, probably about the size of a dime in diameter, um, and it, it's molded in the shape of a raspberry. And the thing is, is when you bite into it, the flavor is very much not raspberry, it's not strawberry, it's not any sort of berry specifically, it's just a berry flavor, which I think we can all agree was cooked up in a lab somewhere, and I like it. Um, yeah, it it's such a thing that uh, they don't actually uh, reference a berry taste when they tell you what the berry is. They give you a geographic region. The, the flavor is Swedish, thank you. It's nice of them to import that from Sweden for you. And it's the type of thing, it feels like a lie someone would tell knowing they wouldn't get caught. Uh, what kind of berry is that? Some 
Swedish berry. You haven't been to Sweden, have you? No, I haven't been to Sweden. Yes, definitely a Swedish berry from Sweden. It's also a uh, it's also a fat free food. So if you were looking for it's like it's so funny. I look on the back of this box. You've got the ingredients list, and right above, in not small, not large, but middling font, it says a fat free food. It's the most throwaway of like pretending to to have some sort of health element involved. It's the last bit of shameful um, self self talk that you have. Well, at least it's fat free before you smash a whole fucking container of Maynard Swedish berries. It's such a diversionary tactic, right? It's like saying, oh, uh, is this gun dangerous? No, it won't burn you to death. <laughs> yeah, it's Zero fat, fires. It's fat free. It's forget fat about free. the, yeah, forget about the, uh, let's see here, 15 milligrams of sugar. Sorry, not milligrams, 28 grams of sugar per, per 11 pieces. So 11 pieces, uh, just so you know, is about a can of Coke, sugar-wise. Uh, yeah, that is uh, 11 small, dainty little berries. Well, uh, that being said, the, the flavor, I mean, what's interesting yeah. about it, the, a, fl- a, the you know, flavor, <laughs> the flavor, the fruit, the fruit flavor, that, that, be- hey, that berry taste, um, the berry is interesting because when you go to bite into it, it's so firm on the outside that it feels like it's going to taste like something utterly stale. But once your teeth get past that initial thin layer of, of what can only be described as firmness. Um, there's, there's a, there's a tasty, soft, not too soft, not runny, but, but middlingly soft, <laughs> middlingly soft candy jujube interior that, uh, that just, that just says hello to your whole tongue. I just, I heard that all in my mind is Christopher Walk. So it's like, and just says hello. Hello. Hello, the fruit, fruit flavor. So this is what'll blow your socks up. Andy. Okay. Guess what my munchie the week is. Is it? It's not Swedish berries, is it? No, it is a Haribo peaches, is what it says. But they oh. are peach gummies. We both went gummy this week. Look at that! Right, another wow. movie favorite, uncoordinated. And uh, I got this from uh, the the uh, halal kosher aisle because oh. I know their candy's dope. Dope and halal, it, dope kosher. It's naturally and artificially uh, flavored. And the front end stick center sticker that they put on the bag says, new, even softer. <laughs> Which that, I got to say tells me that got, somewhere there, there's a barrel of stickers that says softer. <laughs> and the funny. people are like... <laughs> <laughs> that is like someone got paid to write that on a bag. It's like they've had peach, whatever, soft peach gummies since time immemorial. Um, you know, candy was invented and then init- immediately there was peach gummies. And someone in this day and age has been paid to write now softer. It's like, Jensen, go through the Rolodex of all the shit we can say about candy. Uh, uh, sweeter, uh, less sweet, uh, fat more free, peach. more peach, <laughs> <laughs> super soft. All right, let's go with that one this week. Like, it's wow, amazing. Andy, let me tell you the weight of this. It's not written on the bag, it's on a sticker. <laughs> so they didn't want to commit to it too hard. <laughs> that's right. It's about the size of an Oreo on this bag, it's about the size of your extended hand. And it says new, even softer, which means I have to assume somewhere there's a box of stickers that the fine Harbio people have in a corner somewhere, somewhere just says new, soft. 
It's oh, it's amazing. It's incredible. And they, you know, they, because they're constantly focus testing. They're focus testing so much that they can't land on a package to manufacture. So it's Somebody like, oh no, this week the focus group is really liking soft and squishy. Put that one on the bag. Incredible. Uh, uh, Mildred came back and said, "They're nice. I like the flavor, but maybe you make them softer. <laughs> maybe just a little bit." Mm. Uh, so I'm gonna pop one of these in my in my mouth. Do it. Oh man, they're soft. They're, are they extra soft, Dan? Would you say they're notably soft? Here's the magic of this fuzzy peach, as they're colloquially known. Sorry, let me ask. It, is it a fuzzy peach, or is it just a soft peach gummy? Oh, it's a fuzzy peach, my Oh, man. fuzzy peach just like peach the classic. ones you get at the movies. And this is what I love about what I just experienced. The outside is the same firmness as what you consider the classic fuzzied peach. It's got a little bit of a, you got to bite into it a little bit. Not so much as a crunch. There's no crunch. There's a little bit of firmness on the outside, much like your Swedish berry. Mm -hmm. And the inside, though, is the same flavor, exact same flavor, but it has a little bit of a, a mild, spongy, soft feeling to it. And I'm not mad at it at all. Because at all. the classic ones, a little more gooey in their firmness. You bite them, they get stuck to their teeth. This is not sticking to my teeth at all. And I would say this is a much improved recipe. There you go. Fuzzy peach. So here's the thing. Haribo. There are people out there that really f love Haribo. It's like a cult favorite in the candy world. Really? I guess. Is, is, it, Ger is it made in Germany? Uh, I would say most likely nay. Uh, I'd say most likely nay, but let me see what I can find out. Yeah. I mean, I know that on, you know. Manchester, on buddy. Manchester, interesting. I know on um, on Reddit, people are often posting pictures of like a new Haribo candy they picked up, and I think it's for a couple reasons. Number one, Haribo tends to make really nice packaging. I love their packaging. They typically have that little window on the front so you can see what's inside. But there's like a, some sort. There's a, a classic look to all of their packaging that really just right. screams to me, uh, and evidently a lot of people they photograph well, and I guess they 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 feel somewhat collectible. You know, there's this whole. By that I mean like collecting experiences, not necessarily <laughs> candies. But you know, it, it, there's this whole thing in in this this Haribo world where there's all these limited edition releases and there's all these you know new flavors to try regionally, and so people are talking about it. I think it's a really valid way to get word of mouth from your candy. Yeah, I think you're 100 percent right. And um, you're hold up a minute. I said uh, one thing. It is the rabbi that is from Manchester. These bad boys were made in Austria. Ah, there you go. Austria, Germany. I was in the similar neck of the woods. Sorry, what about the rabbi? Oh, the rabbi. Um, rabbi O.Y. Westheim mm -hmm. is from Manchester. It says Manchester after that. So Why is there information about a rabbi on your candy, friend? Oh, because this bad boy is kosher, my man. Oh, I see. It's kosher. So Haribo made a kosher candy, and then uh, they've, they've referenced... Okay, I understand where it was certified kosher. Understood. And here's what I love about these peaches. These are Austrian peaches, not Swedish berries, there that you were go. then sent to Brooklyn, <laughs> that were then sent to Canada. Incredible. That is a long... Long lineage of uh, of candy travel. So there you go. The, you got. Overs I think I think we have to say you've got the most international candy here, despite the oh. fact that I opened with Swedish berries. I don't know how I out international Swedish berries. That seems statistically non viable. 
I'm little, so sugar. Little secret here: uh, Swedish berries made in Mississauga, Ontario. <laughs> Finally, out by AKA out by the airport. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the origins of this fine podcast. Out uh, by yes. the airport. Out by the airport. Purple dungeon squid and Swedish berries. Beautiful. It's a gorgeous thing. Well, that was a nice munchie while it lasted. I don't know if you could tell because of the covert way in which I was chewing them, but they are all gone. Finito. Bye-bye, Swedish berries. Thank you for your munchie. Uh, Andy, is that uh, an international incident you've just committed by devouring all the Swedes' berries? Uh, Listen, man, if it is, all I can claim is Girl Scout cookies made me do it. Um, did you see all of the incredibly like? I don't mean to. I don't mean to be a dink here because I know that you still haven't picked up the switch and you've got a little bit of a, a little bit of jealousy uh, bubbling to the surface. But have you seen the crazy lineup of games that are being ported to it this year? Uh, I I got a glimpse. Okay, so there is not sorry, not even just ported, but there's some originals here. Um, the Dark Souls Remastered is coming to Switch, which to me is the most exciting because I have not gone deep on a game in that series since Demon Souls. And to me, the portable nature of the Switch means that this is a, a must buy. I, I, it's now is the time for me to test my metal against Dark Souls. I gotta, I gotta put up a flag on this and say that the Switch is up to a lot of things. Um, you know, its tech is surprisingly powerful for it being the least powered system. It's so versatile, you can take it anywhere. But one thing I think it's not up to is the string of unbroken expletives that will be launched at it at someone uh, being knuckled under by any of the Dark Souls, Demon Souls uh, <laughs> series. Yeah, that is, that is the, this, <laughs> the Switch is in serious danger of getting snapped in half, I think, when I take this one on. It, it's you know uh, it's gonna take uh, some it's gonna take some profound medication up front <laughs> to not to not, uh, to not go ape shit on this guy. Switches aren't breaking; they're uh, in the traditional sense. They're breaking in the sense that their hearts are breaking. They just can't take any more mu- emotional abuse at some point. There's a frowny face that flashes on the screen, and they they die a death of uh, emotion. Immediately, <laughs> they wi- they wither into cardboard. They've been hard coded to do so. The two techs are just uh, standing around. They're like. Yeah, it uh, just wasn't made to be hated. They got a they got a cardboard uh, 404 on this one. Another one this week, Phil. Died uh, of a broken heart. Died of a broken heart. Yes. Yeah, so Dark Souls remastered coming. Have you played any of the Dark Souls series? Um, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you have all three yeah. or. I've dipped my toe in some combination of two of them. Uh huh. And uh, I respect what they're doing. I played a lot of uh, Demon Souls and Dark Souls of the first. And I like what they're doing, and it just, but it, the pace was slowed down by a level of punishment that I went, I so respect what you're doing. This is the thing I might play you later, but I just moved on to something else. Right. Um, And uh, the one thing that those games are missing, and and some people love this about it, and I gotta say it has an attraction, um, virtually no story of any kind, which I don't need a, a powerful story, but if there's just something there, it, it helps me understand the context because, yes. it, and you know what? It leads to you feeling more unsafe because I think it's part of your brain to want to like put together the situation, but your brain's just like, nope, doesn't make sense. There's werewolves. There's that guy. He's all red. Uh, that dragon just burn <laughs> you to death. Uh, you know, don't, don't look over this edge. You'll slip over that edge 
going to shoot you from a mile away. I'm like, it's all happening. You're not safe yeah. everywhere. Dark anywhere. Souls is about the crippling difficulty and defeating incredibly complex monsters and, and beasts and demons that require hours and hours of beating your head against them till you come to the rote decision of, uh, of or conclusion of how you're going to take it down. Um, the story, I don't think, is ever going to be there. But no, uh, that's not why we're playing it. It's not what it's there to do. It's not what it's here to do. Yep. No, that's true. What else? Uh, Mario Tennis Aces. Oh, dude, Mario Tennis is like the happy sleepover game of my of my youth. You know what I mean? It was the it was the game that I had no interest in playing. Got for Christmas and played for the you know the next two years. Every time the bros would come over after school, bless us. Just a couple of guys knocking some balls around. Yeah, let me tell you. So Mario Tennis, I will pick that one up for nostalgia's sake. Um, Donkey Kong Country, a new one's coming out. Definitely will pick that up with my wife. Are you a Donkey Kong guy yourself? Get me some DK. Uh, Donkey Kong Country, Super Nintendo, tremendous. Yeah, and this uh, this is a similar kind of game. It's a, it's a 2D platform. Well, I mean, it's it's 2.5D platformer um, and you know has a, has a lot of those similar vibes looking looking like they're coming down the pipe. I love barrels that explode, so sign me up. Yep, the one for Wii actually was pretty good. Did you? You didn't have no. You did have a Wii. Did you try that one out? Uh no, I didn't. Didn't get on top of that one. Yeah, well, it's uh, that was it was a classic one. Got got obnoxiously hard in some points, but but definitely good. Um, what else? What else? Ooh, I mean, there's some titles here I haven't really heard about before. Faye, Payday Two, um. So yeah, those uh, Hyrule Warriors is coming to the Switch, which is it, have you heard of Hyrule Warriors? Is it? It's like a Super Smash style game focused around the the Linkiverse, right? The Zelda verse. I, I actually think it's a little bit more like a um, like a Dynasty Warriors kind of game. Oh in, in, right, in Hyrule. Yeah, I think it's like a Dynasty Warriors in Hyrule. It's been out for the Nintendo 3DS for some time. Doesn't really speak to me. Like I've never been a Dynasty Warriors guy, but I, I seem to recall that you were a fan. Yeah, I, I enjoy some Dynasty Warriors. Uh, I think, uh, you know, if, if you either love them or you don't, the, the games have, have changed over the years. There's like probably 12 releases and eight numbered titles. Um, but, I mean, the thrust of it is, is the same. You're storming a castle and uh, your hero is hitting, like, uh, there's like 500 guys on the screen and you're thrashing 30 of them at any given time. Yeah, no no kidding, no kidding. Um, Cele- have you heard of Celeste? No, this is right an interesting. Me. Yeah, no. I, I Celeste have to, I, is your 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 new age aunt. She wears <laughs> nice blue crystals and has a gentle speaking voice. Listen, man, don't knock the crystals. Uh, Kotaku said the first the first few lines of their review is Celeste is pure. It's a it's a beautiful kind of cutesy <laughs> art <laughs> art looking game here. Uh, it's, it looks like it was a Steam release first. I'll I'll definitely have to take a look into this though because. Um, this is yeah. This is coming out for the Switch in. Uh, had it here a second ago. Whoops. Anyway, doesn't matter. How dare you? How Bring dare? Oh, Janu- January twenty fifth. Oh, that's today. There you hey. go. Hey, hey. You know what? Uh, you know what? It's you also uh, Jasmine Cavanaugh's birthday, and I just want to say happy birthday to Jasmine right happy on the tape now. Fingers up. Thumbs high. Boom. Um, Monster Hunter World is actually coming out tonight at midnight, which is uh, yeah, kind of snuck up on me. I didn't realize. Didn't realize we're here. Monster Hunter got the better of you. Yeah. It slunk through the tall grasses and it shifted you in the back with its release date. Oh, it's <laughs> it snuck. How appropriate! It snuck up on me, snuck up on me and put me in a trap. But uh, man, I you know I was actually just 
here's the thing. I'm so bad at releases and remembering when they're coming out. Um, you know, and, and today I just saw, I guess, a headline somewhere that Monster Hunter uh, World was, was out tomorrow. Started looking around for a collector's edition or something that I could pick up physically. No midnight releases. All of the collector's editions are, are, are out of stock online. So I'm pretty much SOL on this one, which is a shame. That is a shame. No, no pre-order, eh? Yeah, no pre. I mean, listen, I can get a just a normal copy, but I really did kind of want to get uh, the collector's edition. Just get that cool packaging. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and you can drop quite a bit of coin. How much was the collector's edition? I think it, I don't think it was that much. I think it was 110, 120, or something like that for this nice right. physical copy. So I would have paid that. Nice. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I'm obviously very excited about that. I suspect it'll be the game that I talk about in the next week or two or one of them anyway. I got a lot in my backlog, and now that I've spent three weeks playing Breath of the Wild, <laughs> I have to at some point transition into something else. It's feeling like it's going to be a bit of a withdrawal. Um, not that I can't play any more Breath of the Wild, but it's it's a game that really demands that you be engaged with it, right? Yeah. So... We'll see. We'll see how that goes. I've also got Persona 5 on the table that I really have to dive back into before it's July. And How's and it I've, going? How's it going with Persona 5, Dude, I have buddy? not have not touched it. Have not oh. touched it since the last time oh. we talked. And I'm really worried. I'm really worried that this is going to turn into uh, this is going to turn into me forking over a, a, a good game for you. But no, no, I, I doubled hey, down on should, my resolve. You should go play it. I hear it's a really good game. You should it is go a really good game. game. No, it's yeah, a no, 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 no. Go play it. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. All right, Dank Dan. You've renewed my vigor to uh to take you down on this bet, to be honest. Do you want to raise the stakes? Should we would that motivate you? Raise the stakes, sure. What are yeah. your what are your what's your suggestion? You know that that Wii you got there, that's a mighty fine or switch, that's a mighty fine looking switch you got there. No, no. All, I'm not all Wii's aside. I'm not putting her on the line. What about just custody? You have to you have to saddle her up at, at Chateau Dan for 30 days. Oh, jeez. That is a... No, man. No. Hell no. <laughs> we can, we I'll can take, not raise I'll take mistakes. really good care of your Switch. Yeah, I know what you do in the comfort of your own house. I don't, wanna, <laughs> I don't want my Switch to witness any of that, or it'll be reverting into its cardboard state. It's, lab, it's latent labo state. Let me tell you, buddy. Stick at it. Right now, unequivocally, you have no idea. <laughs> shivers, shivers up my spine. <laughs> We're gonna have to release this episode in stereo. I don't want you to release man. anything. <laughs> Oh, God alive, Classic. God alive. You know what's horrific and I hope never releases also? Oh, that's a, that's a super oh, bad segue. Segway. Gold. Pod, pod, podcast gold. Podcast gold. <laughs> Amazing. Um, the Duke <laughs> the Duke Nukem movie is coming out. What in the you found this headline. I didn't I don't know where on the dark web this now, came across your, your browser, but apparently a classic. <laughs> a classic Andy mis misquote. What I said was on the deep web there are whisperings of a deep Duke Nukem movie on the Ugh. on the airs of the wind. And there's uh some conversations about who's going to do the lead. I got to ask you, Andy, who should be Duke Nukem? I have no idea. I you don't know. No, not, not anyone? I mean, who should be Duke Nukem? Uh, that's a tough one because, I, I, you know, I see muscly. 
You he's got to be jacked. He's got to yeah. be jacked. And when, when I think jacked, really the per- only person that comes to mind with that level of size is like either Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Vin Diesel. Neither of those guys really fit the profile because they need a, like a flock of seagulls, flat top, um, blonde haircut. <laughs> a, adult, an adult Bart Simpson haircut. Yeah. Uh, Who, who's the guy that played, uh, that played the main character in the Street Fighter movie? Who is that? Why am I not? Jean-Claude Van Damme? Van Damme. Van Damme could be Duke Nukem. Too French. I... He's got to be American. As you know, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble Does, But doesn't he play an American fighter in Street the Street Fighter movie? Yeah, but I don't think that's a movie you can turn to and point at for accuracy and like uh, proper uh, racial uh, representations of players or of the characters. I don't think it shines in that right. regard. Gotcha. Um. How about try this on for size? John Cena! John Cena? Who is John Cena? Uh, John Cena of uh, WWE, WWE. Is that one word? Is that one word, John Cena? John Cena? Bite your tongue. Like Johnny Cena? Okay, go watch an hour of NASCAR Uh and drink six American beers and learn who John Cena is. He's a Marine, sir. He's a retired Marine. Probably. Sorry if I'm wrong about that. Sorry, guys. Yeah, he's, he's a retired Marine. He served in in this our Lord's Corps. Anyway, no more of that. No, uh, but yeah, put he's, that put that back. Put in the that door. away. Put that away. Put that door. Um. So this movie sounds like like something that a cult is summoning in a basement somewhere. The right. Duke, I found an article on Polygon. It says the Duke Nukem movie sounds like it's in its most nascent stage. <laughs> only in the most primordial. That's like the briefing that the, uh, the white house gives when you find an alien egg growing in the center of the planet. The alien <laughs> egg sounds like it's in its most nascent stage. And then it bursts from the earth. And all of a sudden you got a Godzilla situation going on. <laughs> Um, uh, I think it can be compared to the uh, my willingness to like do this year's taxes. Like my will to do my taxes is in its is in its most nascent state. That's a fair assessment. That is a fair assessment. Anyway, I hope this never gets made, uh, mostly because <laughs> <laughs> I wish ill on everyone who's involved with this production. I think they're going to raise Cthulhu. I just I can't. Like I just I don't I don't. There's no bone in my body that wants this to be anywhere near the screen. And I, I can't tell you why. I just feel fundamentally opposed to this. It feels like, like no one? good could come of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what's going to be in this movie? I think, I think there's a couple things we can expect. Um, aliens. Uh, aliens, uh, uh, guns, explosions, and a titty bar. Uh, babes, yes, babes. Um, a tank top, probably. Uh, I mean... We all pressed space bar, right? <laughs> Shake it, baby. <laughs> oh god. When it got when it got ported onto N64, they made a couple tweaks. They made a couple I I shit you not, myself and one of my good buddies probably spent the better part of two and a half hours trying to find some combination of buttons, some positioning of Duke Nukem to get the ladies just a little less dressed. And uh, we, our 13-year-old selves were extremely disappointed when that wasn't the scenario. Shigeru Miramoto knew what you wanted and yet refused to give it to you. He applied that Japanese discipline to my, uh, my down-home Western shame. 
Um, I love how it works both ways because the uh, Western audience doesn't do well with the idea of the drunken master martial artist. So all the ports of fighter games that have some character swilling booze, they like very often have been known to either change it to like soda pop or he's just not drinking at all. Interesting. I didn't yeah, know man. that. Um, the fighting game Punch Out Soda Popinski in oh. other regions is called something vodka, like vodka's in his name. But they in the American Canadian Western release, uh, it's his the boxer's name is changed to Soda Popinski, and he's like Soda a drunk. Soda Popinski. He's a drunk uh, like Russian. <laughs> I really sold. like soda. I'm uh, I'm all the way there. I remember um, Jade Empire. Was that a Bioware RPG? I feel like it was for Xbox. Mm-hmm. Jade Empire. Yeah, it's, it's an old game at this point, but I remember it feeling very next level, and uh, that actually did have a drunken master in it. Um, but that was a, yeah, that was an M for mature game with lots of other crazy subject matter too. So perhaps Bioware let that one lie. I love the legend of the drunk master that, you know, um, some martial artists got hammered all the time with somebody who thought that they were better than them. And then maybe they're technically better goes to beat this guy up, but because he won't fight them the way that they're used to fighting, he just, their movements aren't the same. He just whips, whips their ass. It's like, get the le- Hundred percent. It's like when you when you give grandma the uh, the controller and she wins at Mario Kart or something like that. You know what I mean? You're like, what happened? She's like, I was just driving, and she's like all over the place, off the track. She accidentally found you know the uh, the hidden path through the middle of the level, and um, you know then she puts down the controller and, and never returns to the N64, only to make cookies and eat Worthers. When your village is uh, under threat of death, and a hero must rise to face the challenge but that hero refuses to sober up that's it to do so <laughs> speaking of sobering up um <laughs> worst segue ever speaking of sobering best, up, best, a sobering reminder <laughs> that the canadian market for weed being sold in dispensaries has a couple <laughs> question marks <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, you found uh, you found an interesting article here, and it's a forty. It's not an article, really. It's a forty-two page sting operation by the Toronto's The Globe and Mail, um, where they investigate I don't know several dozen dispensaries and are testing the cannabis being sold in these dispensaries for harmful bacterias, molds, and other substances, chemicals that are phages. in the. Yes. Chemical phages, heavy metals. Yes, M- magnetic uh, fungus. Fungus. Yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, contaminants, otherwise known as contaminants, uh, in your weed, um, and they found it, that there was uh, there was a couple wrinkles in what you might assume would be a relatively innocuous visit to the dispensary. Well, I'll tell you, they've catched twenty two situations. These motherfuckers that are trying to sling some dope. Uh, Don't call you know, it dope, as, man. It's the dopest dope you ever smoke, but it ain't dope. You go into Canna Clinic, um, and it, it's a clinical atmosphere. People are professional. They treat it like medicine. They talk about it intelligently. And Health Canada has advised all the labs that do these kinds of testings that would be able to test dispensaries, marijuana for them, and told them explicitly because it's an illegal operation, they can't participate and test this weed. So. If you wanted to have a full lab battery, it is not no small operation to do all these tests. You normally need, uh, uh, I think they said, 
26 grams of the product to run through all of it. It has to be done by a fairly sophisticated lab. And the fact that the government has made that effectively legal, how are you supposed to filter for that good push? You just have to, you know, look at it, trust your growers, and uh, you know, do it without the, the the benefit of a lab. Yeah, and that's that's some pretty ass backwards thinking because it's the public who suffers ultimately. People are still right. selling weed; they just don't. I mean, listen, I don't know how, I don't know how much of an impact it would be if that wasn't the case. How many dispensaries would actually take the time to have the quantity of a specific strain to test it and make sure that it didn't contain any foreign or unknown bodies? But you know, it, it would be nice if there was um, some consumer protection baked into this, you know, right. this ushering of the gray market out of Canada. Not just baked in, uh, anything other than expressly disallowed. Yes, that's exactly the case. Um, yeah, I mean, this this is, fa- this is a fa- I mean, it's a massive document, so I haven't worked my way through it, but the spirit of it is pretty odd. And it, it's, you know, listen, it's kind of nerve-wracking to know that you could be picking up weed that has some shitty chemicals in it. You know, and by that I mean some uh what what what's the word delisted or or um not permitted uh, pesticides, I think was one of the elements there. Yeah, and Andy, that's the one that speaks loudest to me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's because here's the thing, you're talking about a gray market product, and fine, you can say all you want about that's the risks you take when you buy a gray market product, but we're still talking about a gray market product that's widely available in Toronto, and even if it wasn't, has massive demand, and you know that in the con- in these these you know these months leading up to legalization, where it's becoming harder and harder and less of more and more of sorry less and less of a priority to police, um, you know you 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 have people who are willing to go into these dispensaries and kind of throw caution to the wind because it looks, smells, and feels professional and safe, right? Right. And and there's the the folks that are getting in the business believe that there's enough political will to let them do what they're doing and kind of turn a blind eye. And that 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 change actually changes actually very quickly when it becomes a business for the province. You know, enforcement gets harder, not you know, um, you know, not softer and availability like it goes up uh, ideally for the customer um, and therefore gray market goes down as well. Uh, you know, when's the last time somebody offered you bootlegged liquor? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I don't have a comment on that. You know, I know people who are in the space of of operating dispensaries and I, you know, uh, maybe have my own views on what privatization of, of weed sales should look like in Ontario. Um, you know, and, and there's there's some some good examples and bad examples on both sides of the fence. Uh, what I what I will say, though, is that the idea that, you know, a Torontonian who's going to a dispensary in Toronto um, that looks like the kind of spot you can get a, a safe and legitimate product, maybe isn't, doesn't care to know or isn't as informed about what might be going on with cannabis and in being sold in these dispensaries and, and rolls in and, and really there's no possibility that the dispensary can know for sure that they're selling this Canadian a, 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 you know, a gram that's free of impurities. It's, it's, just, it's a little strange, right? You'd like to think if there was a problematic batch you know, it would be identified because if it truly has a problematic amount of bacteria or fungus, the nose is going to tell you, the taste is going to tell you, the fact that it makes you sick, hopefully not, will tell you. And, I, you know, I've never heard anyone say that. I, you know, even at the LCBO, I'll take it back to that, every once in a while you get corked wine. Right. And you typically, if you know what you're doing, you, you don't drink an entire bottle of corked wine because you're like, eh, that's not right. 
you know, hopefully like my horse hair <laughs> <laughs> lemon haze, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to mull it over a little bit. And maybe, maybe I talk to my bud tender with it. That might be our next segment. How do you talk to your bud tender about the musky weed of your, of your pot? <laughs> yeah, it's got man. a musk. It's got well, a musk, Dave. And I don't know and, how to tell you this. And, and it's like, you know, spoiled wine, I would say, is, is much easier to tell uh, is there as opposed to, you know, weed that maybe has some, some damaging or, or potentially dangerous mold in it, especially because it's not going to have an immediate effect on you. It might irritate your lungs a little bit, but, you know, by and large, burning and inhaling spores of that nature are more of a long-term issue right and well uh, uh, yeah. i mean you you, you imp- just built into that that's that's there's something important that uh most of us are burning this plant matter I, right like how much is uh a bacteria especially uh pertinent if i'm smoking it through a bong and burning the plant matter how much of it gets through yeah exactly Ooh. Man, sorry, just finishing off this bowl of Girl Scout cookies here. And we were sitting here talking about how uh, upsetting and off-putting that kind of contaminant landscape can be. And I've returned to my Girl Scout cookies here and have doubled down on the fact that this is some pure, delicious stuff. Very relaxing. Ah, just enjoying it in general. When we have a professional on here, we're going to have to ask them about the horsehair, about the cat pee, and uh, any other odd pop possibly denaturalized uh flavors we're savoring yeah let's uh let, let's go ahead and make a prediction here the answer will be, be oh yeah dude you probably got some skaggy weed <laughs> that's gonna be the answer right there he's like uh i don't tell you off air maybe yeah. off air this thing yeah maybe maybe get that out of your stash Oh man, you know, uh, boy, I got to tell you, we should uh, we should wrap this up here in a minute because um, I am ready to drift off into dreamland. I'm a little sleepy, which Girl Scout Cookies has guided me through this podcast to a place where I feel like I want to curl up and have a nice sleep. Um, but you know who's still jamming and partying his way through life is Snoop Doggy Dog. Did you see the Twitch thing today, man? <laughs> Snoop Dogg. Snoop yes. Dogg. Yeah, this guy's awesome. Uh, he's He was on Twitch a little earlier, um, smoking a blunt and playing. Do, do you have the title of the game? Uh, he was promoting a game called SOS. You, uh, it's you, a game you, that's in early you, release. You were very clear about the word promoting, uh, the correction on me saying playing, because indeed Snoop wasn't actually playing the game. The best part of this thing is that, and there's a GIF on uh, Polygon that you can take a peek at. Um, you got Snoop Dogg in the middle playing this game SOS, which is, I guess it looks like a survival game of some sort. Good question. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Because um, this article actually deals a little bit more with the fact that he was smoking a blunt on Twitch. But yeah, it's this survival game, I think, that that has you relying on teammates to collect supply. Whatever. doesn't matter. It looks neat. Uh, but at one point, Snoop Dogg appears to be doing very well in this game until he lifts both of his hands up and start <laughs> one, one hand's got a blunt, the other one's texting on a phone. <laughs> and it's pretty clear that he's not playing it. And at the end of the show, he, he, you know, he gives out the reveal that he wasn't, indeed was not playing the game. Um, although he is a gamer, Snoop, uh, Snoop has been known to play some Madden with his bros. So that's I cool. saw I saw Snoop go into a tournament, and I think it was CS:GO. It might have been something else. And Snoop revealed that he would be bringing with him a secret weapon, but he couldn't talk about it right then with the announcer. 
cut to Snoop sitting with a squad of four, just chiefing on a bone. Just, just chiefing a bone. <laughs> Fucking bless you, Snoop. I love this guy. This is incredible. God bless him. And, uh, you know, it, the thing about it being on Twitch is nobody know if, knew if Snoop was going to get uh, pooched for smoking weed on Twitch. Oh, man, Twitch that's is... a two-layer pun right there, bro. <laughs> Getting pooched, put <laughs> out, and doggy dogged at the same time. Boom. That's a Boom. double pun. Write that's it down. That's a dance special. Put it down with some hot pepperoni. Pow, 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 pow. pineapple sprinkled on that bad boy. Ooh. Ha, um, pow. So it is crystally not clear if smoking weed in California is uh, prohibited by Snoop or by Twitch because it's not prohibited by Snoop. Let me yeah, tell you. Courage. It's not prohibited it's by courage. Snoop. <laughs> so uh, the TOS, the Terms of Services on Twitch, say that you need to follow your local uh, state and federal laws, um, basically. And the uh, challenge there is legal in the state federally prohibited so yeah. it's like a catch-22 but they let snoop be and with 80 80 000 viewers that gets uh the admins um eye um and he did not get that band hammer and uh snoop uh congratulations again for setting important legal precedents and i i look forward to look uh looking at your future legislation sir there you go mr, mr. dog mr doggy dog keeping it real for the stoners at home bless you sir and same thing with instagram man i mean and to be truthful you know there's lots of cannabis related instagram feeds that get shut down all the time at 20 you know 50 75 100,000 people snoop dog over 20 million followers regularly smoking down the uh, the old blunt rap on uh, on the gram and uh, they're i think they're pretty happy about mr dog being so active on uh, on their on their profile the man is the tip of the spear and for that we salute him. We salute you, Snoop. Well, my man, you want to uh, you want to drive this one back into? Wow, I'm on this. Wow, I'm on this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Polygon right now, and they're they're suggesting to me get this. They're suggesting that I get this crazy fucking stoner sweater with squid tentacles, <laughs> squid tentacles uh, spiraling out from the neck. I mean, I gotta say, paperclip guys. I, I take my hat off to you. That is some shit. Yeah, I think you also got an Alexa recently. Uh, what? A, what? A what? Uh, an Alexa, one of those um, AI listening speakers. Oh, yeah, that's it's, terrifying. It's like talking about purple dungeon squids. Send him tentacle porn? Question mark. BDSM equipment? Question mark. Squid shirt. Yes. <laughs> Start light. Yes, it's incredible. Yeah, they just they sneak it into the periphery. This is the thing, man. You know, when you've got always on audio equipment or whatever, however you want to frame what an Alexa is, um, when you have always on peripherals that are recording your every speech, uh, it's it can. Boy, I'm, am I making? Are we, leaving, my are we leaving on a bummer? We leaving on a bummer, Andy? <laughs> I don't mean to leave us on a bummer, buddy. Uh, I don't mean to leave uh, us on a bummer. Uh, hey, t-shirt people, purple dungeon squid, TM, TM, TM. I sent a letter to myself that said purple dungeon squid in the mail. That's copyright law. Deal with that. There you go. Purple dungeon squid. And on that note, I think we should probably sail off into the uh, into the sunset on this uh, on this mystical journey. Um, Fine voyage. Yeah. So, any questions? <laughs> <laughs> Killing it. 
10, 10, 10, 10, 10. 10s across the board. <laughs> Listener questions or games you want us to play. Purple.squid.gmail.com. <laughs> Woo. Uh, write a letter to yourself and send it in the mail. And it says, tell somebody about this awesome podcast. Hey, tell- they talked about cats. That's what you want. That's, mm. what you, that's what you came for. Cats in the Front Half, which is the name of my new self-titled EP, Cats in the Front Half. <laughs> <laughs> make, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Purple Dungeon Squid. Until next time, keep it dank, friends. You miss it every time. <laughs> you miss it every time. It felt on time. It felt yeah, on time. Keep it dank. Keep it dank. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot. Fuck, I am high. You ready Kate, to stop this? You ready to stop Kate's this? Came squealing into the fish. <laughs> <laughs> A smoking wreck. <laughs> <laughs>